Hey guys, so we are rolling into season two of None of Your Business Podcast, where we are bringing you inspiring storytelling from the heart. Now, with season two, we, I don't know when I'm going to be publishing new episodes, like I'm moving, a new job, I honestly don't know, so for a month or so it might be a little out of whack um but i'm at least going to get you guys one interview each week that's no matter what so uh the format of my release dates are going to be a little bit different and you're going to hear just a little bit different uh context in this season coming up so i hope you guys enjoy please go rate and review on itunes Please share this with a friend. And with always, I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, and real quick before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to talk about my friend Michael Chauncey's program. It is the Create Fit Tribe. And really what it is, it's just a online mastermind for fitness individuals who maybe are just beginning their fitness journey with the new year's resolution or somebody who wants to compete you're gonna have you know your own unique nutrition and workout plan designed specifically for you but you're also gonna have this community of like-minded individuals to get motivation and support questions love it's gonna be like a family guys so check out the show notes find her on instagram at facebook michael chauncey instagram tyler michael chauncey i love you and enjoy the episode i bought it a couple months ago i saw it and uh, like i need that so um right on well kirk welcome so who are you what do you do yeah so my name's kirk chisholm i'm a wealth manager at innovative advisor group uh, we focus on um, providing wealth management services. We specialize in self-directed IRAs, which for those of you who don't know, are alternative assets held in retirement accounts. So like horses, houses, gold, uh, things that you, you're not going to find on Wall Street. So that's kind of our niche. Mm. And how long have you been doing that for? Well, I've been a wealth manager since December of 99, which if any of you remember, is probably the worst time to start in the business. Uh, it's pretty much the peak of the dot-com bubble. So I spent the next three years uh, learning risk management uh, really, really well because uh, that's all you could do. The markets just kind of went down. Uh, the self-directed stuff, actually, we started in 2008 primarily because we saw the writing on the wall with the markets and we wanted to invest in something that was a little bit more stable and something that we could touch and feel and understand and not a lot of this Wall Street nonsense that was created in the uh in the great recession as i guess they call it okay and why did you get into that into the self-directed space yeah yeah i mean so primarily because it was back in 2003 i had a client come to me and said hey i want to invest in this private mortgage just paying 16 percent." and i said great tell me more about that and, you know, I tried to help him, but I wasn't able to back then because I was at a broker dealer, which did not allow us to do that. 
So it got me thinking and looking into the space and I learned a ton about self-directed IRAs. And what I realized was that, you know, if, if you look at this, everyone talks about the stock market, but there's so many people out there that invest in other assets like real estate. I mean, everybody, not everybody, but vast majority of the public mm -hmm. owns real estate in some shape or form. And it's a great asset if you know what you're doing. So, you know, it got me thinking, I've talked to a lot of people over the years that need financial advice and they're not investing in the market and they probably shouldn't. And there's no reason why somebody in my profession should kind of force people into mutual funds because that's an area that they're not familiar with versus real estate, something they do every day. And I've just seen tons of opportunities in the alternative space that makes sense when, you know, you can look at the stock market and right now it's pretty expensive. And, I, you know, I'd rather go find good investments uh, anywhere I look rather than just in one place. So it really just kind of frees us up to, to focus on assets that make sense for clients rather than kind of the narrow set that the stock market provides. Yeah. I, so probably every meeting that you have with your clients is probably different and specifies as to each individual's financial goals um, and just goals in general. But do you have like a three-step process for like beginners or anybody who wants to come see you? Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say there's a, a process necessarily. There is for us, but um, I mean, with the self-directed IRA process, we actually have, we find that there's two types of people. There's the do-it-yourselfers, the people who just really want to do it themselves and just need, just need kind of a boost to, to figure out what the, what the rules are. So we've actually created some online resources for that at uh, selfdirectyourretirement.com where people can go and find a lot of these resources to do it themselves. Our website, our company website has resources as well. When it comes to just general wealth management, I mean, we have a very specific process that is different um, for most advisors in that we, we don't just look at the number side, but we more importantly look at what's important to our clients, which I would tag as the emotional side of money. Um, there are things that are important that aren't maybe numbers based, you know, like people are getting married, they're getting divorced, they're retiring, they're graduating college, they're changing jobs. I mean, all these things are life events that are really important to people. And, you know, you don't necessarily tie those to numbers. And so our, when we work with clients, we're really just trying to make their life better. Mm, okay. So if someone was going to come see you, what are some questions they should absolutely ask you? Well, I, I think there are plenty of articles on questions people should ask their financial advisor, but I would say 95% of those questions are not good questions, mm -hmm. but it's the same questions everybody asks because they read the same article. Um, I mean, if you really think about the questions um, and, and people don't have context to ask the questions, which is, you know, the hard part. So if you think about it, if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're talking to an attorney and you're saying, hey, uh, give me some references that you're any good. Do you think that attorney is going to give you bad references? <laughs> uh, <fair> right. <laughs> so enough. it's kind of, it's not a good question asking people, hey, can you give me some references? Because they're not going to give you a bad reference. Um, you know, or, you know, tell, tell me about your performance. Okay, well, we're not allowed to advertise performance for one. But um, even so, if you're just chasing performance, you're really not getting the benefit of finding an advisor because there are plenty of really good advisors that, that are really good money managers, 
but they're terrible at working with clients and planning and, and helping them through different situations. They're just really good at managing money. And then there's people who are the opposite, who are really good at the planning part, who are just bad at investing it. So I think, you know, that plus the fact that you shouldn't be chasing performance to begin with. But I think it's it's hard to come up with good questions. I would say just just find somebody that you know that makes that understands you. Somebody who understands the challenges that you're going through, somebody who who, you know, isn't talking at you, but is kind of helping educate you through the process, you're becoming a more knowledgeable consumer and so that you can understand what they're trying to do. Because um, if you truly want to be hands off, then, you know, you're also setting yourself up for failure because you really need to to understand your money at, at least a basic degree. Mm, okay. So <clears throat> how do you feel? Well, maybe not feel, but you guys get your fees from the profits of the a percent, a certain percentage of whatever they're investing in, right? No, we don't get paid from the profits. Um, we, our, our fees are either based on an hourly rate, which I find to be not all that economical for people, um, or as a percentage of assets that we manage. So we're not allowed to fee share on, on profits, which is a regulatory issue. Um, the, you know, based on the amount of assets we manage is typically more cost effective. It's kind of what the industry standard is at the moment. Okay. So that's kind of what we follow. Okay. So your six, their success does not rely on you making money. Well, they're going to pay you regardless, but you're not only your best is, is what I'm trying to say is your best interest is with the client. Well, so in a sermon, uh, I guess, let me take a step back. So if you look at the hedge fund model, the hedge fund model is typically people are uh, charged to, 2% and 20% of the profits. Okay. It's a very different model than, than what our industry as investment advisors have. Um, so when we're basing our fees based on the assets that we're managing, we're trying to come up with a number that is accounting for our time and theirs. Gotcha. Now with that model, obviously as the assets grow, we get a raise and if they decline, you know, we, we make less. So there is incentive in there somewhat, but um, you know, we are fiduciaries, which if, your listeners are not familiar. A uh, fiduciary is somebody who's um, who has to put the best interest of the client above their own. Mm, okay. Yes. Right on. That. Uh, so you guys are the good guys. Not saying the other ones are bad guys, but if somebody was going to come see you, well, one out of the two, you would be people, the better. better people. Bad. People should want to find a fiduciary, somebody who's putting their their self first. I mean, I, I worked in the broker dealer channel for half my career and, you know, there's a lot of good people there, but the rules do not incentivize them to do what's in the best interest of the client. I'm mm -hmm. not saying they don't do that. There are plenty of good people there. But what I found is when you're incentivizing people in a certain way, they tend to act in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So if their incentive is to sell you products, that's what they're going to do. If the incentive is that effectively, well, if the incentives are not aligned with pushing product or, um, you know, a lot of people sell one product over another because they make more commissions. I, I was never into that when I was over there. I was, I always had this fee-based model because I always thought it was in the best interest of, of everybody. Um, but I think just people just need to be aware of, of the bias and the incentives of how people are getting paid. Mm -hmm. Because even if, 
even if they are trustworthy, you don't know that. But if you know that their incentives are lined up with a certain way of getting paid, then at least that takes that doubt off of the table. Mm, okay. And that when you were, uh, you know, beginning of your career at any point, has there been any mistakes that you've made that you've learned from? Well, I make mistakes every day. Where should I start? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, like uh, maybe investing not someone else's money, but your money. And now you thought it was the right situation, but then it ended up being not. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I, the way I look at um, investing is this. I think a lot of people in the investing field, they look at investing as if it's a binary thing, either they're right or they're wrong. Okay. And is their strategy is working or it's not working. I look at it as why have one strategy? There's no one size fits all strategy for the markets. There just isn't. There might be a better strategy for certain types of people, but what I've found over the years is that my strategy has evolved. And what I started with, which was probably more common to the industry, which is a diversified approach, um, that didn't work well from 99 to 2003 because the markets went down. So everybody lost money. And I, I didn't really take a lot of comfort in losing less than other people. And that was just the strategy. You can't, you can't predict where the market's going. So you just diversify and reduce your risk. Well, at least back then that strategy worked. That strategy actually doesn't even work anymore in the downtrends. Back then it at least somewhat worked. But the problem is the client's still losing money. And I did not really feel comfortable about that. So we've altered our strategy quite a bit to focus on being a little bit more tactical. So the way I look at it is, um, it's kind of this, this um, mentality of a fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So I have more of a growth mindset, which is let's find the best solution. I'm not gonna get stuck in one, I'm gonna be constantly evolving. So right now our strategy is, it's much more tactical, which is um, for the, for the diversified approach, which is what most people use, the MPT model, as they call it, modern portfolio theory, um, what people do is they say, we'll diversify and the market will go up and down and you know it'll come back. Well, if you're driving down the highway and there's a boulder there, what do you do? Do you hit the boulder and just say, sorry, there's nothing I could do? It was just sitting there? You get thrown from your car and get back in and start driving again? Or do you drive around it? Drive well, around it. I look at MPT is you're just hitting the boulder. You know it's there and you're not even bothering to, to drive around it. Okay. I look at it and say, yeah, there's a boulder there and there's ways to be more agile and not lose 50% like it did in, in, uh, in 2008, 2009, or in the early 2000s. I don't feel like that's a viable strategy for anybody. I don't care who you are. So we focus more on risk management. So our strategy is risk management first. And, you know, if you focus on the risk management and you're not losing huge amounts of money, the performance takes care of itself. That's the, the, the upside is the easy part. And, that, and that's, you know, trying to beat the index is kind of a fool's errand in many ways. But, you know, as long as you're not losing big, then, you know, overall, you're actually winning quite a bit more. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, for first-time investors, what would you suggest that they like what are some markets that they should look into? I think for first time investors, um, 
this is a, this is a tough question. I get to ask this probably the most frequently, and I don't know that I have a great answer for this. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you're going to uh, invest and you really don't want to learn, you don't want to take the time to learn, you don't want to take the time to, to figure out uh, the best way to invest, then I would say probably, you know, investing in an index is probably the best approach. Um, you know, it's hard because there's a lot of nuances to that, but generally speaking, um, it's better than, than just taking a flyer and picking the, the best performing mutual fund, which is usually almost always the, the worst um, approach. So I think, you know, just picking an index is probably the best, finding an allocation that makes sense. I know the robo-advisors out there allow people to invest cheaply. Um, I'm not sure that that's a great strategy, but I think it's, if you don't know what you're doing, it's better than, than nothing. Um, and I think that what people really should be doing is focusing on learning either one of two things, either finding somebody to trust to manage your money, or if you're going to do it yourself, just learn. There's so much to learn. It's really easy. The internet provides you an endless supply of information you can learn from and just, just start picking it up and learning. I mean, that's how I did it. I, I just saved some money in, when I was in college and just started day trading and not day trading like multiple times a day, but just, just trading stocks and just figuring it out and making my mistakes. And made, I made plenty of them, but that's how I learned. I mean, those mistakes were the best mistakes because I did not lose a lot of money. You know, you make those mistakes now and they're, they're a lot more significant. So yeah. I'm glad I learned those lessons early on. So if you're going to learn, start small, make your mistakes, learn. And then as you, you know, as you get older and more educated, then your mistakes will be smaller and you'll make fewer of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when you were in college and you made your first mistake, it wasn't a lot of money, but did you have like, oh no, that was a lot of money back then moment? Were you stressed out? Like, you take me back to that process and how you were feeling? Oh yeah, I mean, it was a lot of money at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, when you get like thousand, two thousand dollars in your account um, in college, that's that's a lot of money. So yeah, I, I made some mistakes, and it's it um, at the time it seemed like a lot, and you know, I was learning with options and options are dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Of course I didn't. That was just, I just read something and said, Oh, options would be fun. Let's, let's learn this and I can make better returns. And of course I learned pretty quickly that I didn't know what I was doing and I stopped trading options. Um, I actually, oddly enough, now use options as a part of our strategy because they're really great at defining risk. And I was using them to speculate and I was using them uh, stupidly quite frankly, which is how most investors use them. They just look at it and say, oh, I can make 500% returns if I get this right. Well, you may be able to get 500% returns, but the probability of you doing that is probably 1%. So, you know, options are basically a math-based strategy and probability-based. And we've learned to use them successfully and they're a great tool. But I think at the time, I didn't understand them and I made my mistakes and it was painful. I mean, I lost decent amount of money doing them because I was trying to, I was, I was going all in and figured, oh, well, this will be great. And I didn't realize, well, I could probably also lose all my money. So, uh, and I, another failure was listening to CNBC for stock tips. That was another failure on my part. Um, <laughs> but back then everyone, that's all everyone was watching on TV. So um, nowadays, I don't even know if they're still in business. I don't know if anybody watches them, but they're, uh, but it's just, it's just the nature of, of, of news. Like everyone's trying to get clicks. Everyone's trying to get attention. And mm-hmm. I don't know that 
I've ever found a good stock idea listening to TV, somebody on TV or, you know, any sort of, um, you know, news channel talking about stocks. I mean, if anyone has a good idea, they're not telling the world. That's for sure. Mm. So is there like websites that aren't actually useful where people could go for information? That's just not a bunch of BS. So there's a lot of websites out there. Um, depends on your strategy. If you're looking for information, then there's a lot of websites. I use. I started using YCharts as a as a data source and a, as a tool, um, and that's been really helpful. Um, I used to use uh, Yahoo Finance, but then they they I don't know they screwed up Yahoo Finance. They did something to it, and it just it didn't work as well. So. That was pretty much the only reason to use Yahoo at all was Yahoo Finance, but um, they had some good data and then that that no longer worked as well. So I use things like uh, Guru Focus. Um, they, they have some good data. Uh, if you're just looking for data, if you're looking for data screens, um, I mentioned YCharts is a good one. Um, there's another one, Finviz is, is a good one that people use for charting and uh, and for screens. I mean, it really, the thing is there's a lot of resources out there and you have to figure out what you want, what it's worth to you. Cause there are free versions and then there are paid versions. And a lot of the paid versions are much better depending mm -hmm. on what you want. So it's really just figuring out what your focus is. Now options, there's not a lot of great services anywhere. Um, you know, we use TD Ameritrade's, um, uh, they have some good tools there and some good option tools, but there aren't a lot of great stuff out there. It's just the nature of options is just different than anything else. So there's not a lot of resources put behind it. Um, but in general, I would say there's, um, you just have to figure out what your style is. Your, as I call it, my investing psychology. So you need to figure out what your investing psychology is. And if you understand that, then you can design a strategy around it. If you don't understand your investing psychology, you're going to be frustrated for a long time because I, I, my biggest mistakes were made because I didn't understand it. And now that I know it, it makes it a lot easier to figure out. So I would say, you know, there's plenty of resources, uh, just figure out what you need, what you're trying to accomplish. And then, um, you know, or find some newsletters that, that are, that have a good, um, kind of have a good sense of the world. Like you, you really have to curate your, con I've curated my content over years mm -hmm. and my, you know, family asks me all the time. So what's something I should read? I'm like, I don't know. I, I have like hundreds and hundreds of sources that I get things from and I mm -hmm. read it. I just kind of skim through it and read the stuff that I need. So it's really hard to say there's not like one single source that I go for all my information. That's, that's fair. Um, so why did you start investing in college? <clears throat> well, back then it was the uh, dot-com bubble and everyone was interested in it. I think I was always interested in money and always interested in, in investing and no one ever taught me anything about it. And then in college, I really started to learn about it. And I got interested because it was on the news. The RA in my dorm was talking about it. And I just really just found, wow, this is really interesting. So I got to do two things at once. One was, you know, work with and help people. And the other one was work with money, which I always enjoyed. So for me, it was, it was kind of how I looked at the world back then and kind of a, a narrow, narrow lens, but it was, um, it, it was fun. It was exciting. Everybody was interested. I just happened to stay interested, even though the market fell, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, the high flying gains that, that got me into it, but that, that certainly kept me, 
uh, engaged in it at the beginning. So that was, that was helpful to have that experience early on. When uh, the market was crashed, um, why did you stay in that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm stubborn. <laughs> I mean, I think back then there was a, it was kind of like this, um, this kind of rotary thing where, you know, people were in, uh, people became recruiters because it was so easy to, to make money recruiting. And if you could place anybody, you made lots of money. And when that kind of dried up, then people went into wealth management. And when that dried up, people went into mortgages and real estate. And every time there's a bubble and a crash, it just cleans out a huge amount of the people. I really love doing this. And I wasn't going anywhere because I figured I could gut it out better than anybody. And I knew it was going to be tough and I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I also knew that if I worked hard enough that I would get it. And, you know, there were points in my career where I thought about, well, maybe I should change, change tack. And I'm glad I didn't because now I've had a, a decent amount of success and I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's very fulfilling that I've been able to help a lot more people. But, you know, when you kind of go back to that, like there were definitely some hard times. And, um, and I, I think everybody goes through that. You just mm -hmm. have to, you just have to figure out what's important to you and is it worth, is it, you know, is it worth the struggle? And during those hard times, like how did you overcome that? That's a great question. Um, I think part of it is just kind of understanding your purpose or your why as people call it. Um, I'm generally pretty stubborn. I was anything I did, I always just put 110% into it and maybe I wasn't always um, smart about knowing when to quit. You know, you just, you just keep plugging away and you just, I guess the way I saw it was I'll figure it out at some point if I can make a living at it and, you know, I can do well at it. Great. But eventually I'm going to get it. And, and I did, but I think, um, for me, it was just knowing that this is something I really enjoyed doing. And I think if you enjoy doing it, it's not really work. And I mean, I look at it and I'd say, you know, people be wheeling me out of here. I'm not not retiring because I enjoy this too much. And it just because it, it allows me to do everything I want to do. I get to meet people. I get to help people. I get to work with investments. You know, I get to do all the things that I love to do. And it makes it so it's not even work. It's just, it's fun. Mm. That's right on. It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> so where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me pretty much anywhere in the internet. Kind of hard to miss, but um, you can you can go to our website, uh, innovativewealth.com. So if you want to learn more about uh, what we do, self-directed IRAs, all that. Uh, I also have a podcast, a Money Tree Investing Podcast, which you can find me there. Uh, we talk a lot, a lot about different finance topics, personal finance and investing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find, but those are the, those are probably the easiest places people can go. And, you know, if you want to learn more about, um, the, uh, if you want to learn more about, uh, self-directed IRAs or alternatives, um, then you can go to, um, uh, innovativewealth.com slash, um, none of your business. And you can get the uh, top 10 uh, biggest mistakes people have with self-directed IRAs. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Right on. Uh, do you, are you on social media at all? I am. Yeah, I guess for better or worse, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, 
I'm not really engaged on Twitter. I do it just to kind of be active in Facebook. I'm probably most active on LinkedIn if people want to find me. Um, I just, I try not to spend too much of my day wrapped up in social media. I don't, <laughs> I see it as kind of a, a drain of valuable resources that just don't need to be put into, into that funnel. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I try and I took social media off my phone because it just, it, I can stare at it for days or like have the analytics app for my podcast on my phone. I just stare at it forever and it's just a waste of time. And I, I don't really care for that. So, well, you know, there's, I read a book last year at the end of the year called deep work by oh, yeah. Cal Newport. It was a great book. Um, oh, Cal Newport. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go, sorry. Go on. Yeah. So the book's fantastic. And it just talks a lot about how we spend a lot of our time in our lives focused on the shallow work, things like social media, things like clickbait articles, things like that. And, you know, it, it doesn't allow us to think deeper and to kind of expand our mind into areas and doing really meaningful work. And a lot of us get wrapped up in the, in the shallow work because that's the, we feel like we need to do many different things. We always have to be in meetings. We always have to email people. We always have to text. You have to social media. Like you don't really need to do all that. And what he talks about was, well, I've read this in a lot of places, but social media is addictive and mm -hmm. they have created it deliberately to be addictive. Mm -hmm. And um, all of the social media channels have this. So if you think about, you know, what causes addiction, social media has all of it, the social elements, you know, the need for likes, like the dopamine hit, like all of that stuff. And so I actually don't, don't get involved with social media almost at all. I've outsourced a lot of it. Um, and, you know, I do it when I need to reach somebody, but I don't actively participate. Never had it on my phone. Don't plan on it. Um, it's literally just there for business. I've never used it for personal because I figure, you know, I'm a little older than the millennials. I'm Gen X and I just pick up the phone. You know, if I want to talk to somebody, I'm going to call them. I'm not going to text them or, or send them a, a tweet or send them a, you know, Facebook message. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to call them. If I really need, if I can't call them, I'll text them. But, you know, I'm not, all that other stuff, just, it's just a time waster. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very focused with my time and I'm, I, it's very valuable to me. So I try not to waste it doing things that I know will, uh, will not really enhance my life. Hmm. So you, would you say that you have a morning routine? Uh, I have routines. So okay. tell me yeah, more about morning, that. So I've, yeah, so I've done a lot of, um, uh, I've probably changed more in my life in this past year than I have in my entire life. And I've done it through deliberate change and putting myself in positions to fail forward, as I would call it. Mm -hmm. Um, which is challenging myself and putting myself into positions to get better by, you know, pushing myself a little bit beyond what I think I can do. So I've tried to automate a lot of my processes, my habits that I can and should automate. Um, so in the morning, um, you know, I try to read uh, if I can. Okay. I'll try to read in the morning. I'll try to read before bed because the most pliable time for your mind is in the morning when you wake up and right before you go to bed. So if I'm trying to learn something, I find that's the best time to do that. Um, you know, nighttime routine, I have a little bit more down. I try not to have any sort of blue light within an hour before bed. I try not to be on the computer an hour before bed. Uh, I try to read before bed. Um, you know, I, I just try to wind down well before 
I'm going to bed because otherwise I'm just up all night. I, I don't watch TV anymore because for me, it's a habit that mm -hmm. I just, it's too addictive watching Netflix. It's hard to stop. Yes. <laughs> you can't just, yes, it is. you know, it's like Doritos. You can't just have one, you know, it's just, right. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and I get that and I enjoy TV and I just have to be really mindful of, of that for me and gaming too. I enjoy gaming, but, um, you know, my kids are getting old enough where I can start gaming with them, but that'll be a problem. So I guess the point is I've really been deliberate about my time and where I put it. And, um, so, you know, I've done things from time to time as I've needed them, like things like, um, daily affirmations. Um, I don't do journaling, but daily affirmations I do, uh, when I feel like I really need to get over a hurdle, but what do your daily affirmations look like? So I'll tell you about the process. Um, the process is I'm actually going through this now because once a year I take two weeks off. I have like a, a deep work week or two. And I just, mm -hmm. just kind of review the whole year. I deconstruct what went well, what didn't. And I put a lot of thought into where I need to go in the next year. Um, so I've thought about where I, where I want to be. And I figure out what I need to do each year to actually get there. So I spend, I don't just do it as, um, you know, like a lot of people do it, they'll spend an hour. Like I'll spend a day, there's this thing called like, people call it different things, like the wheel of life, the balance wheel. It's basically this pie that has different parts of your life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's um, health, you know, there's physical and, and psychological or mental health. There's friends and family, there's fun and recreation, there's, um, professional, there's personal finance, you know, there's a whole bunch of different topics. And I'll spend like half a day to a day on each. And I'll just drill down and figure out what do I want to change? What do I feel like I need to change? Um, you know, what's working, what isn't. And there's this really long process that I just wrote out because it was such a, um, I did this last year and it was, it was, I just did it intuitively and I decided, you know, I'm going to put this into a process this year because it's a lot of work. So I, I spent two days this week actually going through that and creating that. Um, but what it effectively is, is just looking at analyzing at everything. And once you understand all the different components and what's important, one of the things that I pull from that, um, and I go like, seven levels deep on this it's just it's not mm -hmm. just like the first level i'll just dump everything on a page let's mm -hmm. say here's all the things i want to do the next stage i'll edit it i'll go through and say all right what do i really want to do and i'll pick you know I'll, I'll edit out all the stuff that i'm just like yeah i kind of want to do it but it's not that important to me um and i'll try to will it down to the top 10 things mm -hmm. and then i'll try to take those top 10 and narrow them down to three words and if I can use those three words to define my year, then anytime I'm off track, I can always come back to those three words and say, is what I'm doing aligned with those things? Now, it could be one to three. I mean, one word would be sufficient. Um, this year, one of my words, the primary word was balance, was finding balance in my life. Because I'm, you know, I do things to the extreme. I, I find ways to you know, push myself beyond where I can. And sometimes you just need more balance. Mm -hmm. So this year was balance for me. So each year I, I pick some words as a, as a, as a guiding light or as a, you know, um, you know, a focusing tool and then coming up with an affirmation is really kind of derivative of all that work. So figuring out what I want to do and, you know, a few years ago, um, 
one of my affirmations was I wanted to create a, a $2 billion RAA in five years, mm. which is ridiculous and totally absurd. If any, anybody in the industry looked at it, so there's no way you can do that. And I looked at it and said, well, if I make it 20% a year, I'm not going to be pushing myself. This is going to cause me way outside the comfort zone and I'm going to figure things out about myself and I'm going to push myself and maybe I can do it. Maybe I'll come up with ideas that I wouldn't have come up with if I hadn't tried to, you know, push myself so far out of the box. So that was my initial one. And then I changed it because I realized that that's really not motivating me. So what I changed it to was I want to change I want to create a positive impact on 2 million lives over the next five years. So mm -hmm. it's a very slight tweak, but it's very important because it resonated with me more than the other one. The other one didn't really resonate with me. It was a goal. I'm glad I did it, but I'm also glad that I changed it because this one actually resonates with me. Why did you decide to change it? Well, because it wasn't, you know, I think when you're, when you're trying to have these self conversations, mm -hmm. when you're trying to, you know, with affirmations, that's pretty much it. Um, you're trying to retrain your brain. You're trying to teach yourself effectively. Mm -hmm. You're brainwashing yourself is what it is. If you want to put it into simple terms and it's easier to use words that resonate with you rather than just random words. Mm -hmm. So you might say, um, you know, save versus invest. Well, save may mean more to you than invest, right? Mm -hmm. There's similar words, you know, you could say, well, I want to save $100,000 or I want to invest 100000 They're very different, even though they're, you know, they're different words, but they also might have very different meanings to you. Mm -hmm. So words do have meaning and you need to pick words that really resonate with you or else your, your brain is not going to read it. So one of the challenges and one of the reasons you, people do affirmations is because if you give yourself a goal that's way out of your comfort zone, so let's just say you say, I'm going to make a million dollars in the next three months, your brain is going to laugh at you. It's just, it's not even going to, it's not even going to resonate with your brain because it's going to say, that's impossible. You can't do that. And it's just going to, it's not going to get into your head. So you're not going to be thinking about it because your brain is just going to say, nope, that's not possible. We're not doing it. But if you find ways to trick your brain, it's like I said, it's kind of brainwashing in a way, but you're, you're tricking your brain to accept certain things, one of which is using words that resonate with you. So your brain is more willing to accept it because the word is, it means something to you. Mm -hmm. So there's an art form to this, which some of which I've kind of learned and read through different things as I've gone through this. And I think it's, a lot of this is self-exploration. I mean, I spend a lot of time teaching other advisors and CPAs and attorneys how to, you know, have better lives. And we do a lot of leadership training around these concepts because no one teaches you this stuff. Like I had to figure this out myself. Like, it's not like there was a, a book you read and it just tells you all this. I mean, there are plenty of books, but you know, sometimes you connect with a book, sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. But all the stuff that I've learned in the last year, year and a half, I've picked up from so many different places that, you know, putting together a resource guide would be almost impossible. I mean, like the deep work book, that's like a small sliver of what I learned. Like there's so many concepts and, you know, that was a whole book just for that one topic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's important that people, I guess there's an element of mindfulness that's really important that people have as they go through this. So they understand 
how they're thinking about things and what their what their brain is telling them because you really need to be uh, in tune with that or or none of this is going to work well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. so do you you do meditation yoga or anything like that um i've done both from time to time i find meditation hard because i always ask the question how do you know if it's working <laughs> how do you know if you're doing it right yeah you know like there's no guide and i've been frustrated by that i, I I've, I've made it work from time to time but i think it's um, I've read a lot of good things and that's actually on my list of things to do this year is to really get better at that and to really kind of see if I can really master the, um, the effort to do it. Cause I think it's just, for me, I want results. I want to see that I'm making progress and the whole point of it is to not make progress. So it's, it's very frustrating, but yoga I've done. Um, and I really enjoy that. I think that's a good exercise for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, I, I used to do it in the mornings. I haven't done it recently, but it's going back on my list. Cause I think it's an important activity to start the day and, um, things like stretching are important. I try to do that as much as possible. Um, another part of my morning routine, I have blueberries every morning to keep, stay healthy. It keeps me from getting sick. You know, little things like that. You just have to figure out what works for you and, and, um, find ways to, to improve your day. Yeah. Most definitely. The best piece of advice I got for meditation is uh, that somebody gave to me was that there is no right way or wrong way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't help me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm trying to learn this, like, and that's the answer that people give and they're right. Like that's the point, right? There is no point, but it's, it, it, it's, it, it's like when you're trying to learn it, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like just I say, just to, sit there. Yeah. I just sit there and like, I would think if like a thought came in my mind, then like I'm doing it wrong, but then somebody suggested just observe it and let it go. And like, now I can do probably 25 minutes of meditation if I don't fall asleep at a time. Um, and it with anything, uh, just anything to practice being more mindfulness. It helps me be more congruent with my words, thoughts, and actions. And then the visions that I want and see and happen, I can observe them through meditation and eventually they come true or I, or they don't come true just depending on if it's supposed to happen or not supposed to happen. So, See, that's, that's great. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to explore is, is kind of the, um, the deeper benefits to it, which you know, everyone I've talked to is the same. It's just, it's really hard to describe all of this. And there have been some good books written on it, but everyone has a different viewpoint on it. Everyone mm-hmm. has a different angle and perspective. And, you know, one of the things I'm planning on doing this year is just reading a lot of those different perspectives so that I can really get it. I mean, I've gotten the re- some recordings and ways to kind of some sound to help get you into it. Um, I was reading something the other week and they were talking about priming, priming through sound. Um, there was a guy who, who's, who's in martial arts and he said he just, he trains to this, to this certain music that he uses. So then when he's getting ready for a fight, he just needs to listen to like 10 seconds of it and he primes himself, he's ready to go. And um, I think it was something like Floyd, Floyd Mayweather does the same thing um, where he just like, he'll be sleeping before a fight, you know, be napping in the, in the locker room and then he'll just like, he'll just turn it on and go out there. Like he's just, there's this, 
like people have this way of priming themselves and, and, and it's like a psychological way to get into peak form. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I've done this over the years, listen to music before sporting events. And now I can listen to something immediately. Just like, I just feel, you can feel the adrenaline going through. You can just like, you're just ready to go. So I, I understand it. I've never done it scientifically, but I, I've, I've heard about it. So I'm very curious if there's ways to, to do that. And that's another thing I'm curious about exploring. Well, if you have 10 days out of the year, you should look up a Vipassana meditation retreat. Okay. Um, I know they're on the West Coast. I'm sure they're all over the world, but I know there's some in like Yakima, Washington and in Utah, I believe. Uh, it's like a 10-day retreat. You just meditate for basically 10 days and eat pretty much slim to nothing. Uh, <laughs> but and like it doesn't cost you anything but if you feel like there's value then you donate whatever you feel like how much it's worth to you it's uh so. that's pretty interesting yeah. I, I like that that's um yeah that's very interesting because i i've I, I i don't know that that business model is sustainable but i think it's um i think it's a good way to approach it especially if they're starting out because you don't really know what the market will bear um but yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out because I've, I've been getting a lot of emails recently from just services I subscribe to that are giving these retreats. Uh, I actually have a client who's, you know, looking to start a business around a retreat for, you know, mothers. And there's just a lot of different things that were, mm-hmm. that I've been reading about. And it's just fascinating to me. And I think we all need it because we're, we're all overworked, mm-hmm. way overworked. And, you know, we need to recharge and, you know, really kind of take a break from it all or else you you kind of burn out yeah totally so kirk i got one last question for you shoot what is your message to the world wow (laughs) that's a big question um i would say You know, I'll have to, you have to give me a minute on that one. I had come up with some stuff before and, um, I think there was one on, I actually have created a lot of quotes recently that I've really enjoyed. One of them was I was trying to define greatness Mm. and what I came up with is the definition of greatness is be the best version of you, you can be and be willing to struggle for the benefit of others. Mm. So I think if you think of all the people that are great, I think it would really fall into that category, right? Because there are plenty of people who are great, but not benefiting others and vice versa, but real true greatness. Yeah. Um, Leaders. Yeah. I mean, I think leadership is, so I I will say this for the listeners, I think this is really important, is that there's a huge cultural shift going on and has been going on for the last two decades. And I think most people have pretty much missed it. And it's a lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, the 980s, 90s, there was leadership. But now there's so much information out there. People are in information overload. They thought that the internet would save them time and make them work less and make them more efficient. And it's just caused them to work more. Mm-hmm. And you want to search for an answer on Google and you get 20 million answers. Well, how do you know which one's right? 
Mm-hmm. People don't need information. Everybody thinks that information is the answer. Information is not the answer. What's the answer is people have too much information. What they need is leadership. And I'll ask you this question. When I say, give me the names of a few people who you think of as leaders, like what comes to mind? Mm, I would say my mentors. Um, that, that probably, yeah, pretty much it. Right. Uh, you're, you're, you're better than most. Most people can't come up with anybody. Yeah. I mean, so the th- thing that generally comes to mind, maybe not now, but people usually think of presidents, they think of military leaders. That's typically what comes to mind. They'll think of, you know, military leaders. Cause that's kind of how that's tied together. But I don't find that anybody comes up with any other names. Now this wasn't always the way, you know, back a few decades ago, people looked at certain people as leaders but now there's no leadership in our culture and people are craving it. They're craving leadership. And if you can find a way to lead people, to provide that leadership that's so desperately needed in an authentic way, that's not self-serving, then, I mean, if you're looking to grow a business, you're going to, I mean, you're, you're not going to have any limits because what I've found is so many clients that we work with and prospective clients are craving that and no one wants to give it to them. They don't want to spend that time to help them have a better life. They're just focused on their own little silos saying, all right, I got to sell you investment products or I got to do your tax returns or I got to do this legal case. No one's bothering to help them. And these people are crying out for help. Everyone is. We all are because, you know, there's, it's just a challenging culture and society we live in. And so that would be my message is leadership is probably the most um, needed thing in our culture right now. And it's lacking in an enormous way. Right on. Love it. Well, sweet. Thank you, Kirk. I appreciate it. Sure. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Kirk. So go find him on LinkedIn. Go check out his website and if you still want to go to the Econo Me conference in Cincinnati, you can go rate and review my podcast and on iTunes and get a chance to win two free tickets. Or you can go to economy.com and use the promo code none of your business to get 10% off general admission tickets. So go find them. You count on me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram, go check out Kirk and his websites on LinkedIn. And with always guys, thank you. Please share this with someone who, you know, maybe is going in the financial field or needs help in their financial field. So I love you and have a good day.